Good morning. Good morning. Kind of a, give me a thumbs up if I'm good. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, we are Edward and Emily Brake, and we work for Crew, the U.S. Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ International. And we work specifically with the campus ministry at UNH. Uh, we also distance coach a small crew movement at Keene State College. Um, and if we can get that first slide, if it's working. Yes, uh, those are our students at uh, Winter Retreat this past February. So that's Keene and UNH students together. Um, and then I, my main role is with the Mission Trip Operations Team, which is a national level team that I'll tell you more about later. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, we'll throw up the next slide. Um, our two kids, Samuel is five and Sophia is two and a half and they're at Kids Church and will hopefully do well. Um, <laughs> And yeah, as Pastor just said, um, Community Chapel prays for and gives financially to our ministry and has partnered so well with us for many years. Emily grew up here um, and we're excited to be back and to bring the message and share an update with you this morning. Okay, so who's familiar with Crew? This is one of my favorite churches to ask that question because I've been coming here for so long that like all the hands go up. Okay, if you can throw up that slide with the list. So Crew covers a whole long list of ministries under the umbrella of Crew. Since you guys are such experts on Crew, what ministry does the Church of the Nazarene and Crew partner on? Pastor Jeff, you can't answer. Anybody else? Yes, Jesus Film Project. Great job back there. So... Um, that, I think, is one of the coolest ministries we do. It's a feature-length movie based on the Gospels about the life of Jesus. It's been translated into about 3,000 languages worldwide. So that gives people who are either illiterate or don't have a written language access to the whole Gospel in a way that they can understand. So it's such a cool thing that this church, the Church of the Nazarene, and crew partner on... Um, Pastor Jeff mentioned I work with faculty, so you'll also see on the list up there, Faculty Commons is my side gig, I like to call it. I partner with a colleague in InterVarsity, and we run a monthly gathering for professors and other academic staff at UNH to discuss what does it look like to be salt and light working in academics. Um, that's actually the passage we're going to look at today, so you guys can think just like my professors think. What does it look like to be salt and light in this world? And then campus, that's the bolded one. That's us. That's what we do as our main gig. We work with students. We often say you can tell everything that we do in three words. You guys have heard me speak before, so you might even remember those three words, but our next slide has them. So we win we want to see students one to Christ. We want them to know who he is and follow him. We build. We want to see our students grow in faith during college. They're not just surviving. They're really growing and they're thriving. And that means that last one, they're being equipped to be sent, to be sent to the people in their dorms and their classes to share who Jesus is, to be sent wherever they go after college. Um, we've been working with crew long enough that we've seen a lot of students some of them take longer than others to graduate, but eventually we see them get sent out to the world. So practically, what does that look like? Um, this picture up there, that's the start of the school year last year. 
If you know anything about college students, they love free food. So we do a lot of things with free food. This is us doing free root beer floats the first week of school and just connecting with students, inviting them to things like our Tuesday weekly meetings or other events that we do throughout the year. Um, we want students who don't know Jesus to come to explore who he is. We want students who already come to college knowing who Jesus is to really find a community that helps them walk in their faith during their time. Um, I've been with Crew for 14 years at this point. Edward's been with Crew for eight years, and it's just been so fun to see our students making an impact in the places where they go after they graduate. Um, we have students who have gone to become worship leaders at churches, teachers, chemical engineers, foster parents. Um, just seeing our students go on to become salt and light in the places that they go after they graduate is an incredible gift of getting to do campus ministry. Yeah. Uh, so today we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, uh, and talk about being salt and light. Um, and we'll share some stories from our ministry and hope it's encouraging to you. Uh, but let me pray before we dive into the passage. God, thank you for Community Chapel. Thank you for this church and how you use them uh, within this congregation and within this community. And um, God, I pray that as we meet today and as we look into your word, that you would be the one who speaks to us, that you would use our words, um, and that we would say what you want us to say, and that you would meet us here today. And ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so a little context, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 16, is a very small portion of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount uh, that takes up chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, and it's really this long sermon from Jesus where he's speaking to both his disciples and the crowd on a mountainside, thus the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and Jesus lays out the ideal way for his follower, that his followers should live even as he sets a standard that's impossible to keep and points us to our need for him as a savior. Uh, so bigger picture of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things Jesus says as he raises the bar for people who think, I can be good enough to get to God on my own, he's like, no, the law is actually about the heart more than your actions. And so Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you're angry in your heart towards your brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he takes the written law, and he's like, actually, it's a heart issue, and you can't meet God's standard. And then he's the one who the rest of Matthew shows us lives this perfect, sinless life and meets that standard, so that through his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can have forgiveness and have right standing and relationship with God. So even as we look at this passage on being salt and light, know that Jesus is calling us to be salt and light through his forgiveness and grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that context, let's look at verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may say your, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, this is a pretty common passage, and even in Christian circles can be like reference shorthand, like go and be salt and light. Uh, you can even go out and buy a salty and lit t-shirt if you want after the sermon. Um, but I realized as I was thinking about this passage and preparing, I was like, I don't actually know what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Because when I think of salt, I think of the salt shaker on our table and those moments where you're like, this broccoli doesn't taste great. It needs some more salt on it. Um, I don't think of the multiple ways that salt was used in the ancient world. And so I did a little research, um, found a Gospel Coalition article by Andrew Wilson, who's a pastor in London, uh, entitled, What Does It Really Mean to Be the Salt of the Earth? And he gives ways that salt was used in the ancient world and how that applies to us as Christians. I'm no expert on this, so some of this comes from him, but take what I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> Um, but in the ancient world, salt was used for flavoring, preserving, destroying, fertilizing, and sacrificing. Flavoring makes sense to us, is how we still most commonly use salt, that salt adds or enhances the flavor of food. And so we, as followers of Jesus, should enhance the world, that we should add flavor to things that would be bland, that we should draw out the blessings of those things that are good, and we should provide contrast by being unique and different. That we're to add the flavor of Jesus to our interactions so that people will taste and see that the Lord is good. I think another thing that salt, when it flavors its food, does, uh, as, we, as I was thinking about this and we started preparing this, we went out for dinner, and the rest of the night, I was like, I am so thirsty. The rest of the night, I just drank water and drank water, and all of a sudden it clicked. And I was like, oh, that meal is way saltier than I realized when I ate it. But it's made me thirsty. That I think we, as salt, in our interactions with people, should make people thirsty for Jesus, who says, I'm the living water. So in both ways, we're pointing people to Jesus through our, salt our saltiness. Uh, the second one, preserving. But in the ancient world, there was no refrigeration, and so the only way to keep your food from decay or rot was to salt it a lot. Uh, and followers of Jesus are meant to be a preserving agent in our areas of influence, to keep it from decay, to preserve that which is good, and to prevent corruption. And I think we need to be a little careful with this one, because I think we can quickly jump to like, we're supposed to preserve culture as a whole, but I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, because this is early in his ministry. This is hundreds of years before the church has like major influence, at least politically. Um, and so I think more than, hey, preserve culture as a whole, I think Jesus is simply saying, be a preserving agent in your areas of influence. Uh, and an example of this, I worked for seven years at an engineering firm before I joined staff with Crew. And if any of you have worked jobs in New England, you've probably experienced that 
there's a lot of swearing that happens in the workplace in New England. And this strange thing happened to me at my engineering firm that I would have a coworker, multiple coworkers, who would go on uh, kind of rants with lots of swears strung together. And then at some point later that day, they'd come by and apologize to me for swearing. And it struck me as very strange because I'd never said anything to them of like, hey, I'd appreciate it if you swear less, or like, I don't really appreciate that you swear. Like, I'd never said that. And yet they would come and apologize simply because I didn't swear. And so there was a difference that was noted that in me being different, it led to an apology and I think like a preserving of what was good in the office. So the question, one question for you today is, are you the same today at church as you'll be in your job tomorrow? Are you salt that stands out by being unique and different and preserving in your areas of influence? A third way salt was used in the ancient world was destroying, and again, I think we have to be careful with this, but scripture references multiple times salt being used in judgment or destruction upon evil. That one of the worst things you could do to your enemy was go and burn their land and then sow it with salt and make it a salty wasteland where nothing would grow. But I think with thinking of salt as a destroying agent, we have to remember that Satan, not other people, is our enemy. And so salty Christians should be preventing things like lust and greed and murder and injustice from taking root. Um, and I think with this, we also have to be careful that later on this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. That we have to remember that God is the ultimate judge who will bring justice and righteousness, even as we seek uh, yeah, to root out things like lust and injustice and murder in our world. Fourth, if you use the right amount of salt, it could be used as a fertilizer, interestingly enough. Uh, that salt can help the earth retain water, it can make fields easier to plow, it can release minerals for plants, it can kill weeds, it can protect crops, it can stimulate growth. That we as disciples of Jesus should be fertilizer, going to the hard places to prepare the soil for planting and growth with our saltiness. And Emily has a fun story about a student who did just this. Sure. So Michael um, is actually from Nashua. He came to UNH. He was not a Christian, had a pretty nominal church background. Um, and I asked him, hey, can I share your story? And could you send me a picture so everyone can see who you are? He does not normally walk around campus in a tie. Um, but he did student teaching this year. So I think that explains the tie. But... Michael um, came to one of our events called Ask a Christian Anything, where it's a weekly meeting where we have a speaker and students can literally text in any question they want the speaker to answer. And because of coming to that event, he got plugged into crew, started coming to other events, exploring more about who the Bible says Jesus is. Um, Michael's a really good thinker and researcher, and so he was just learning and absorbing and that led to his sophomore year, he decided to follow Jesus. 
Um, one of the things I appreciate about Michael is that when he's in, he's all in. And so he just started to pray for all the people around him that they would also experience Jesus and come to know him the way that he did. I didn't realize this included that he was praying for his professors until we had a weekly meeting where I'd invited four of our Christian professors from that faculty group that I run to come and share with all our students what does it look like to follow Jesus in academics. And Michael was so excited, but also a little bit embarrassed to realize that his history professor was on this panel and he had in fact been urgently praying for his history professor to come to follow Jesus. And he found me afterwards, he's like, turns out my history professor has been following Jesus since before I was alive. (laughs) But I think what's so cool about that is that unbeknownst to Michael, his history professor was also seeking to be salt in that classroom. I know this professor, I know he's someone who seeks to share Jesus in whatever way is appropriate and he's able to do with his students. And also Michael was praying for his classmates in that room. And so there are two Christians seeking to be salt in that room. I think prayer is just such an incredible way that we can be fertilizer. We can be salt in that way for the people around us at our school, in our neighborhood. Even as you're like waiting in that really long line at the DMV that you thought was not going to be that long, you can be praying for those people around you. And you might not know the result that has on their spiritual journey. You may not be like Michael and find out, oh, that person was actually a Christian. But you can trust that God is using your prayers to be fertilizer and to be bringing people to Jesus. Uh, The last way that salt was used in the ancient world was in sacrifices. That Exodus chapter 30 and Leviticus chapter 2 both talk about uh, salt being used in the incense excuse me, in the tabernacle and in the grain offering. And I think there is an element of holiness to the fact that salt is included in these sacrifices and that Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. That we're called by Jesus to be holy, and I think it helps explain this idea of salt losing its saltiness also, that Jesus finishes uh, this verse about salt by saying, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And what's interesting is that salt by itself can't lose its flavor. But salt loses its flavor when it's corrupted, when there's impurities mixed in with the salt. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he's made you righteous before God, that you have that standing no matter what. But at the same time, Jesus sanctifies us. He takes us in this life and makes us holier and holier, look more like what we look like in our right standing before God. But he, in a sense, removes the corruptions to make us saltier salt. But we are also called to strive in the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to live holy lives and to live righteously and pursue him. And one last thing I would point out with the salt analogy is that unsalty salt's not useful. That Jesus calls us to be useful, um, actually both as salt and as light. The second analogy Jesus uses 
is easier for us. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That we're called as followers of Jesus to be light that is visible, not hidden. That others may see our light and be drawn to the true light of Jesus. Uh, But in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That Jesus has given us this light of life as believers to direct people to him. And that we're to be visible by our good works so that people see and give glory to God, not to us. Uh, And when I think of Jesus saying, you are the light of the world, my mind goes to missions and the light of Jesus going out throughout the world. I mentioned earlier, my main role with crew is with the mission trip operations team. Uh, We're a national level team that helps with the logistics and training for any mission trip that crew sends. So whether it be a one-week trip sent by a campus anywhere in the US, um, so think of like a spring break trip going overseas or in the US, um, to summer missions that crew sends that go anywhere from two weeks to 10 weeks long during a summer because students have this incredible thing called a summer break where they can go and send it uh, and turning into church as you did, or on a mission trip with other students that lasts for a significant amount of time. Uh, To sending recent grads to be interns with crew serving internationally around the world. Those are kind of the big areas that my team steps into. We're a remote team, we're spread all over the US. Uh, This is us at our team retreat in October. So one of the two times in the year that we actually get to hang out in person. Uh, As a remote team, I like to say that I get to change the world from my home office by sending students on mission trips to share Jesus around the world. This summer, we had 110 summer missions with crew that 1,500 students went on to places like Belgium to be a light in a country that is only 2% evangelical and where there's no crew movement, but between two spring break trips and a summer mission, these students went seeking to find students who are already believers or to lead students to Jesus by sharing the gospel in hopes of starting crew movements on campuses in Belgium. Uh, To a summer mission in North Myrtle Beach that in a month, the students there shared the gospel over 1,300 times and saw 172 people start to follow Jesus. Uh, Even locally, there's a summer mission at Hampton Beach uh, that this year celebrated 50 years of being a summer mission at Hampton Beach. And I got to go visit a couple weeks ago just to see how the students were doing, hear how the summer had gone. They were there all summer. Uh, And the students talked about persevering through the reality of walking up to people on a beach in New Hampshire and people not wanting to talk to you no matter what you're talking about. and persevering through that to have spiritual and gospel conversations with people and see 16 people receive Christ at Hampton Beach this summer. 
or sending to the hard to reach places around the world where people have never heard an accurate message of who Jesus is, his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, but that's what my team gets to do. So while Edward and his team are sending 1,500 students out to the world, I get to welcome students from all around the world here to New Hampshire. Um, you can see this next picture. This is our backyard. Um, I don't think it's possible to get any closer to campus than our house is. So this is a bonfire in our backyard. Those trees on the other side of those trees is campus. So we can just say, come on over, come walk over to our house, come have a bonfire. And we got to do that several times with international students this year. And what I love about having a house that is so close to campus, and if you haven't heard the story of how we got our house, ask me later at our table in the back. It involves a blizzard. It's a really good story. Um, is that our house itself just creates ministry opportunities. We have two little kids, and so our end of the semester barbecue, I was putting kids to bed, but eavesdropping on the conversations happening in our kitchen. And I could hear our student leaders asking a student from a country where there is basically no access to the gospel. There are very few Christians there. What do you think about Jesus? And I loved that I didn't even have to be on duty to create opportunities for ministry to be happening. And we want to invite all of you to come be a part of the ministry that we do in our house. So this Friday, August 11th, we're hosting a prayer walk before students get to campus at UNH. Um, we'll go out, we'll walk on campus. If mobility is an issue for you, we've got a group that just stays put in our living room and prays. And then we'll have food and a barbecue afterwards. So if that is something you would like to come do, come find us at the table in the back. We would love to have you come pray for campus. This is, I think, the fourth year we've done it, and it's, it's just an incredible thing to cover campus in prayer before the semester starts. And we're so grateful that, um, I know last year a lot of you said, we can't make it, but send us a list, and we'll go walk our neighborhood, or we'll go do our own little prayer walk while we're praying for you in each. So if you can't make it, but you still want to pray, come find us, and we'll get you that list of prayer requests this week. So thank you for partnering in prayer. Thank you for partnering with rulers. Mary did the announcement earlier. Um, this will be our third year packing school supply kits. You can see the picture up there. It is so fun. It's so, so fun. Last year we packed 1,000 kits. This year we're packing 1,500 kits. And these go to kids around the world in places where they lack access to really basic school supplies like pencils and that keeps them from being able to be enrolled in school, which perpetuates a cycle of poverty. So you saw on one of the earlier slides, we've got a whole long list of ministries that fall under crew. One of them is a humanitarian ministry called Unto. So we partner with Unto, campus partners with Unto. They distribute the kits through their local staff in these countries who get to share who Jesus is and the hope found in him as they give out these kits. And then we get to share the gospel because we invite the whole campus to come help us pack kits. Last year, we had over 100 students come. About 20% of those were not part of crew. Um, we had, like, the guys' tennis team. I loved last year we had girls who misread the time. They showed up an hour early um, because they were like, yeah, we came last year, and it was so great. And so we, like, wanted to come back. And I was like, okay, do you want to help me set up because the event's not for another hour? And they're like, definitely. So they carefully cut apart a thousand toothbrushes to be individually packaged. So it's incredible, it's so fun, and we're so grateful that you help 
make this event happen. Um, one of my favorite stories is Ashley. She was a freshman last year, had basically no church background. She only went to church if there was a funeral. But she got invited to this packing party by a friend who was in crew. She came. She had a good time. So she was willing to go to other crew events that her friend kept inviting her to. And as she became a part of the crew community, she started exploring, what does the Bible say? Who is Jesus? And as she explored that, she made a decision this past semester to start following Jesus. And that all happened because we were doing what we were supposed to do. We were being light, and we were using our good works to point other people to Jesus. So thanks for being a part of Ashley's story and being a part of thousands of kids' stories around the world through Donating Rulers. And I would just invite you, besides Donating Rulers, what are ways that God is calling you to do good works? Not because it's a checklist and that's what you're supposed to do, but because God has done so much good in your life. How can you, out of an overflow of the good God has done in your life, be doing good works for the people that you live with or the people you go to school with, the people you work with, the people you walk by in your neighborhood? Um, maybe this is just a reminder that God is doing things that you can't necessarily see. And so keep on doing it, even if you haven't seen the results, right? I didn't see Ashley's story for a whole year. I had no idea that was happening in her life. Or maybe this is a wake-up call that you need to change some of the things that you're doing so that you are living as salt and light. Because as Edward said, if you're unsalty salt or if you're hidden light, you're not useful. You're not pointing people to Jesus. So we want to challenge you this morning. Be salty salt. Be visible light in the places where God has you. Yeah. Um, just want to say again, we so appreciate you as a church partnering with us. Um, we would love to chat with you. Afterwards, we'll be in back in the lobby area. Um, if you as an individual would like to be on our monthly prayer letter so you can hear more specifically how you pray, you can also see pictures of our kids each month. Um, or if you want to hear more about giving financially to our ministry, uh, we'd love to chat with you in back, or you can scan the QR code and fill out the online form. Um, but yeah, thanks again for your faithful partnership and prayer as a church. Let me pray as we close, and then Pastor Jeff will be coming back up. God, thank you again for this church. Um, thanks for your word. And I pray that you uh, would help us more and more to be light that is visible and salt that is salty and useful to you um, in our areas of influence, in the places you have us, in the places you send us. And we ask that in Jesus' name.